Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. Inspiration and Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Episode 5 Approach to Mental Health. Before I interview survivors, I think it is important for you to actually hear from leaders at BJU what they really believe about mental health. And so I'm about to play an audio clip by Dr. Greg Mazak, who is very influential at Bob Jones University and on their counseling practices. This is from a sermon on anxiety, and the link is in the show notes to the full sermon if you want to hear it. But this is a little snippet of his view on anxiety. What is anxiety? It's, it's another name for worry. And you say, what is an anxiety attack? It's when it gets really bad, really fast. And you say, so what do I do about that? Well, first of all, you're, you're not allowed to do that. To do that is actually to disobey God. In the next clip, this is going to be Dr. Jim Berg who also was influential at Bob Jones University and on their counseling practices. Somebody might challenge us about other sins. We might be challenged about music, or the Christians might be challenged about music, or about immorality, or about gambling, or cheating, or lying, or something. But, but very few times are we challenged by another believer about our worry. And at Bob Jones, we don't even give demerits for worry. And we're not going to start. But it is a sin, and it's unseen, and it's very seldom challenged by other people because of that. Now that you've heard a bit from two leaders from Bob Jones University who influence the biblical counseling program at Bob Jones University, I am now going to interview a survivor of Bob Jones who studied biblical counseling in their undergrad and also studied biblical counseling in their master's degree. And the person I am going to interview is Lee Foster. What is the definition of biblical counseling? And I know they also use the term euthetic counseling, so talk about that too. Yeah, the word neusthetic is used. That was originally coined by Jay Adams. So he's the father of biblical counseling. He's the person who started working towards spreading this counseling, this form of counseling among Christian circles, the Bible-believing individuals circles. He the new the neusthetic word comes from actually Greek, and that's where he took it and turned it into neusthetic. And I'm gonna read you the Greek definition really quick. So the def- definition of new, well, new is the, the word that he took and coined newthetic to admonish, warn and exhort or give instruction. So that's literally like the word that 
is describing counseling. And that used to be a more pure form, they would say, pure form of biblical counseling, like completely Bible verses and everything like that. And biblical counseling, that term came out of more of, okay, we're going to use not only just Bible verses, but like principles from the Bible and not just like memorized Bible verses, but like principles of living. And they, they did a little bit of like pulling some elements of what we would consider therapy out of it, but it's still all strictly based on the Bible. And some of my experience with that, not only as a student, I have both a bachelor's and a master's degree in biblical counseling. So I do know the world backwards and forwards for those who wonder like what my credentials to talk about this are. And so, yeah, it, it definitely is pretty limiting because of the principle that you only use the Bible to help people who have gone through trauma or hard times. Other people have hurt them in some way or another. I think from you were bullied in school to someone raped you on the sidewalk or wherever. So it's a one size fits all a lot of times. And we can get into more of that later. Yeah. So it sounds like biblical counseling is really, it's based on belief completely. It's not based on any kind of science whatsoever to my knowledge there is no peer-reviewed study indicating that biblical counseling has been helpful i actually wrote a paper in i can't remember if it was undergrad or grad school but i wrote a paper on basically does christian counseling actually work and so it was even broadening it more from biblical counseling to like christian counseling and essentially at the end of the day there isn't there and my paper wasn't peer reviewed or published or anything like that, so it's definitely like not peer review. But um, there was not evidence based on my research that for positive, and there was some evidence of negative outcome. There are people who would say otherwise that there are positive outcome, but I think it's very situational to the person if they truly had benefit. But there's no scientific evidence mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, yeah. I think that the people who quote unquote, could be helped by it. Like if their, if their struggle is truly just spiritual and they find comfort and, but I think like one problem with biblical counseling is that they've conflated mental and spiritual problems as one mental and spiritual problems are not one. They are two completely different things. Like a spiritual crisis would be more like, what is my belief? Whereas like a mental crisis is, it can be physical elements of our actual physical brain. We have a physical brain. It's not, this <laughs> spiritual entity. It is a physical part of that produces chemical hormones and it can derail sometimes. So I guess what I want to clarify for anyone listening is we are looking at this from a mental health perspective and arguing mm. that biblical counselors should not counsel people who are having mental health issues, but they do and they act like it's like the only way and mm-hmm. there really is a lot of victim blaming and really shame uh, with this counseling method, and which I've experienced, and I know many other people have experienced. And so I think it'd be interesting, though, if you would dig deeper into the origins of slash the founder of the approach, which I think is Jay Adams, right? Yeah. So Jay Adams actually wrote several books. There's one called Competent to Counsel, and there are that one was a main textbook 
for my undergrad class in biblical counseling for my bachelor's. There's a whole series that he wrote. And one of the one of the arguments that he presented was that psychology is sinful. This is a direct I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but it's a direct quote from his book that psychology is sinful man thinking sinfully about sinful man. Whereas I would argue also that theology or the application or interpretation of scripture can also be under that. When we're interpreting scripture to try to counsel somebody or biblical counselors, as they would call themselves are, we're still sinful if we're using their terminology, we're still simple human beings talking sinfully about sinful human beings. And so there's a lot of underlying beliefs about like theology and humanity that really color the way that biblical counseling is applied. And Jay Adams, I think he was a well-intentioned person, but he eliminated a tool that is available to us in psychology he eliminated that from the picture. And I think that we would never say, oh, we're going to use the Bible to teach math class, or we're going to use the Bible to teach accounting or business principle. We're not going to use the Bible for that. It's not a blueprint for that. And I think that one of the things that Jay Adams started is like, this is the only way for mental health professionals to treat trauma. And honestly, the way that questions are formulated and asked in biblical counseling does victim blame. It does create shame. It is usually accusatory in the method that is used. We were taught that this was literally like a rote thing that we would almost say like a catechism in class, but we'd be told over and over again as a cohort of students that you can't counsel unsaved people. You can only preach the gospel to them. You can only evangelize them. And so we would be like sitting in class and the professor would say, so can you counsel unbelievers? And our rote response would be, no, you can only evangelize them. And there's so many problems that come out of even that statement, how I saw biblical counseling kind of played out for myself, because as well as like being a student in the biblical counseling courses. I was also in counseling while I was at Bob Jones. And so how I would see some of that played out as one of my counselors said that we weren't here to talk about my family and my past. We were only here to talk about the Bible. That's how it's promoted of talk about because that's gossip or that's not relevant to the situation. You just need to believe the Bible. And it led to me feeling like I could never talk about my problems which is a huge issue because when I need to go to someone for advice or to, if someone is treating me inappropriately and I need to talk to somebody else about it, like there's no one to go to if that's how your belief system works. And so like my other things that were said to me were like, you don't need people. You just need God. We do need people. We do need community. We don't only need spiritual needs met. So if we're real about it, that's twisting some scripture too. So the other thing that is really problematic is when we talk about trauma, a lot of the times. So what happens is the biblical counselor might hear your story. They might hear it once, maybe twice. However, if you revisit any part of it, 
you'll be questioned. I was questioned. Why are you still anxious about that? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. Or another experience that I had was I was having a really rough time with something from my past, like abuse from my past. The immediate response was you worry a lot. You should really get some help for your anxiety. You have a lot of anxiety. That's not what a trauma survivor needs to hear in that moment. And so a lot of the perspective is that you're the problem. The person sitting in front of you is the problem. And we don't talk about how the other person is a problem. So they skip over the pain and the validation of emotions and they go straight to, well, belief, faith, pray more, memorize scripture more. And scripture is almost used as, and it's taught through Jay Adams, it's taught this way. Scripture is taught to be used as you carry a note card in your pocket and you recite it to yourself over and over again. It's almost like a genie. <laughs> Let me rub this magic lamp and the mental health solution that I need will come out. And honestly, if you really think about it, that's a prosperity teaching. And that's some people memorizing scripture never ended up working and then they feel even more devastated. And that brings out that shame that you were talking about earlier. So yeah, that's my long deep dive into what the it started as and how it plays out now. And I'm just curious, like what led you to study biblical counseling? Yeah, so I went to Bob Jones originally to study music. I knew they had a really good classical piano program. I was a pianist in high school and wanted to pursue that further in college. I got to my junior year and I was like planning my junior recital and I was so excited about it. But then I just burnt out. I was like, I hate this now. I don't want this to be a job. And so as I was trying to figure out what direction I was going to go, someone had just mentioned that. I think you'd be a great counselor. And I was like, okay, I had no knowledge of counseling. I had no exposure to anything prior to that. I grew up homeschooled, pretty sheltered in terms of what I knew about was what was available in the world. Honestly, like never talked about emotions growing up at all. I think that's a common thing that most people in our generation could really relate to. Um, yeah. we this other side of ourselves when we hit our 20s of wait, that's emotion. <laughs> Yeah, like I switched my major three years into school. Thankfully, it only added a semester on for me. So, hey, got that going for me. And I just honestly was in it because I wanted to learn and I wanted to I wanted to help people. I was like, I've I felt supported by people. I want to be that for someone. However, I started questioning. So it was literally my first it was like a general biblical counseling class. And one of the things that the professor straight up stated was that emotional abuse cannot happen because you can't abuse emotions. And that just bothered me. And I didn't know who I could ask about it because I was like, dang, if this professor believes this, then it must be right. When like, also, who, like, if he says that, like, surely everybody else here agrees with that. But I was like, literally questioning it because I grew up with emotional abuse. And I knew that from just, like, talking with my mom about it a little bit. And so hearing that just really was unsettling for me. And I kept going, I kept going through the courses. Sometimes I was like, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. A lot of times I was like, I'm not sure about that. I am, I don't know if anyone out there is aware of the Enneagram or has any interest in it, but I'm a five with a very strong ring for it. And fives 
their core need in life is knowledge. And so I would do my own thinking and thinking and research like outside of my classes. And as, as time allowed, obviously college is like super stressful. And I just like, I could not get past the stuff that I was being told. Like, I was just like that this can't be it. Like this, it can't be as simple as, Oh, you're having an anxious thought. You should just say this scripture. That sounds way too simplistic. And it feels like it's not working. And so I'm beating myself up. I'm clearly not doing something right, like something I'm doing wrong. But then if you think about it at the end of the day, when is more praying enough? Like at what point does it become enough? When is more scripture memory enough? If if you're chasing after mental health and you're doing it that way, like you're going to come up frustrated and feeling like something is wrong with you as a person. And yeah, I finished my undergrad degree. I had some friends that I was able to have really great like questioning conversations with. Obviously, we never really came to like super firm conclusions or whatever. And but I knew that I needed to think and not just absorb what I was being told. I needed to think and analyze and question what I was being told. I actually was pretty disillusioned by it after finishing undergrad. However, I was in a really weird position of I didn't have anything when I graduated college. So I ended up working for Bob Jones. I was, I carpooled with someone else who worked there. I lived pretty cheaply with someone else who worked there, which I'm super thankful for. Like it definitely got me off my feet. However, it wasn't a healthy situation. And for that reason, like I decided I wanted to just go back. I felt like the only way to move on was to finish a degree of some sort, like a further education degree. And I tried exercise science. I had some physical issues. So I ended up just knocking out the biblical counseling masters in a year. And in the master's program, so this gets a little more personal, but maybe like personal to people who maybe did a master's degree in biblical counseling of Bob Jones and are trying to make a career out of it. It was advertised that you could do social work after finishing the degree. And so I finished the degree and was looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job. I could not get any job. I could not get licensed. I researched and researched, called the state, researched the state's website. I tried to get credits transferred to a K-Prep accredited program to try to get another degree. My, none of my credits would transfer from Bob Jones, even to Liberty, which has a K-Prep accredited degree and is also a Christian school, which is really, it blows my mind that my, my credits from Bob Jones literally couldn't even transfer for a degree from another Christian school. Like that's how far off the counseling program is from the standard of like, researched, reviewed, evidence-based practices. Back up a little bit. So obviously in grad school, you take more specialized classes. And and some of the things I just remember are we would sit in a class where we're talking about medication. That is a very touchy issue among the biblical counseling community. Most biblical counselors would say that they're not anti-medication. However, they're not necessarily going to recommend someone to go on it, which there, I, I don't know if these stories are verified, but just because it can be a safety issue, I'm going to say it anyway, but there has been cases spoken of 
where a biblical counselor did tell someone to go off their medication. However, that is very dangerous. That is not okay. Anyone who is on medication for depression, anxiety, any mental health condition, you have got to talk to your doctor about how and if you're going to come off your medication. So just that disclaimer there. And so that's a very dangerous proponent or like teaching or potential issue that has historically come up. I was in a class that was about medications and psychological diagnoses. And it was really frustrating because the whole entire class was watching videos of the negative effects of medication. And we never once saw any support of the positive effects of medication. And I think that's extremely problematic because you're only seeing one side. There are so many people who have been literally like lives saved because they chose to take medication. And while yes, medication is not for everyone, I don't think we should just shun it as, oh, I'll just pull up my bootstraps, memorize some Bible verses and get through it. Our brain's not that way. And so just the fact that individuals are going out from a school with a master's degree thinking that they're prepared with that type of information to counsel people scares me so bad. Yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. So that's, oh, and then, so how I came through that, I finished the program, marched, I got a job because I couldn't find a job in mental health. I got a job in a doctor's office to just get through until I could find my eventual destination. And so it ended up after two years of researching and trying to figure out how I could get a job in this field, I just had to suck it up and go back to school for Cape Crep accredited degree. And I finished that in December. And like we said at the beginning, I got licensed. My license finally came through after a very long and (laughs) frustrating wait. And yeah, I'm excited to be actually contributing to the field in a positive way now. So that's how I came up through the counseling world. Oh yeah, congrats on getting your license. That's exciting. So like you basically, you had to just redo your master's over again, basically. Wow. Kudos to you for getting through that again. I'm more credentialed than I wanted to be, but hey, I am doing what I want and feel very passionate about doing so. Yeah. Yeah. That's always great for any job or career. And I guess I'm curious, was really, when did you feel like you realized that biblical counseling was dangerous or was it like, was it just creeping your thoughts every once in a while or was it just a sudden realization or how did that work out for you? Yeah, definitely. So for me, I am like, I'm a processor. Like I think through things a lot. I don't, I'm not as much going to process things by talking as much as mentally like working through it. I'm also someone who wants to give something a good chance, like a good effort. And so for that reason, and also some financial constraints and probably a little bit of like therapy was discouraged, like going to a therapist was so discouraged by the professors and people at the university that I I felt like, even though I was like, I don't think they're completely right. I'm like scared to go because I don't want to be screwed up kind of thing. (laughs) So there's always this like nagging problem of, oh, they're the expert. I think what really did it was I went to a couple of counselors after the 
first one where I mentioned had said, don't talk about, we don't talk about your past. We're here to talk about Bible. And I was over time when the things that I was trying to do, the practices that they were encouraging that they said would help my depression, my anxiety, they weren't helping. And in fact, I, there was one time when I was in school, I was, I think it was like my senior year, I was severely suicidal and didn't feel like I could tell anyone because I was like, oh, I already know what they're going to say. They're just going to say, read your Bible and pray more. You're clearly going through a crisis of faith. And there was so much more going on than that. There were triggers from childhood anniversaries. I had cancer one year that I was in college. I had thyroid cancer. And that takes a huge toll on you emotionally and mentally. And so I didn't, I couldn't tell anyone. And that was a really scary time. And so that made me question, okay, if I don't feel like I can tell these people this, like, how is that? Okay. And also just feeling like I have done, I've worked this, like people say they worked the 12 steps in AA or whatever. That's how I felt about biblical counseling. I was like, I have worked this. Like I have given it a fair shot. And I wasn't feeling better. And it came to the point my doctor was recommending medication. And I was scared to go with my doctor's recommendation because I thought I would be like shamed and shunned and judged on campus. And so I like, I just didn't even tell my counselor at the time that I was that I had gone on medication, which also is not okay. If you feel like you can't tell your counselor that you've gone on medication, get your butt out of there, get your ass out of there, because that's not a good counselor. So anyway, I felt like I couldn't tell them. And that was that. And then also when I did my like internship, which for my grad degree, the first time around was literally like six, I think it was like six weeks of going and doing a devotional with women in a detention center. My internship in my second grad degree was three semesters and 700 hours there's a huge difference and like the experience you get in a few weeks in a semester versus three semesters and 700 hours that's insanity like the difference is insanity you can't learn how to do a skill or a counseling intervention in just a few weeks not to mention again it was more like a devotional time and so just that that stark difference blows my mind. And then, so I think the ultimate, okay, there's not a lot redeemable about this. I think that was definitely the combination of all of my experiences, but also just realizing that like doing this over and over again for the rest of my life is not sustainable. I, I don't feel any better than I did. Like when I started, I'm on medication that I feel like I can't tell a counselor that I'm on. I still had unresolved trauma and even stuff that happened while I was at college and even re-traumatized by people asking, why are you still anxious about that? Like counselors asking that. And then of course, I'll be implying that there's something you could have done better or differently. And also one of the things that we didn't ever, I can't remember talking about it very much at all would be like how the nervous system is involved in trauma and the fight, flight, or freeze. 
if we touched on that, it was so brief that it's a fleeting, a fleeting moment. We literally like in my second grad degree, we worked through that. That was a big part of it. Yeah. The neuro neurobiology, biology, which is so important. And then now we know with trauma-informed care, we have to understand how the body and the brain interact with one another post-traumatic experience. That's not, it's not a part of the biblical counseling model. I think one of the other things that I want to say too, is that, so with my degree as a licensed professional counselor. So my degree was clinical mental health counseling. My license is licensed professional counselor associate. We have a very stringent ethical code that we answer to the American Counseling Association. So one entity that has created a code of ethics that is standardized for the whole country. And it takes into consideration trauma-informed care. It takes into consideration client autonomy. It takes into consideration just keeping the counseling relationship as safe and accepting as possible. And also just really protections for everyone involved. Biblical counseling has no zero. They don't answer to anyone. Now, if someone gets certified, there's a couple of different agencies that certify There are some schools that have degree programs. The Master Seminary in California has that. Bob Jones has that. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. But there's no when they answer to it's every man for himself and that there's just no accountability with that. And so there's not a place to, if you are harmed as a client, you have every right to report that somewhere, but there's nowhere to report that for a biblical counselor. There's zero accountability. Whereas if you were harmed by a licensed therapist, you would have a recourse. So that's a huge major red flag. And so I'm just curious about spiritual abuse that you witnessed, experienced, or heard of at Bob Jones University through the counseling program and the counselors. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest is probably the perpetuated shame. We've mentioned that a couple of times. Again, Also, just the way that clients, students, whatever, are the stance that the counselor has towards them when they come in is so different from the stance that like a licensed professional counselor has. We have something in our field that's called unconditional positive regard. That's like a, it's a buzzword in our field, but it holds, it carries a lot of meaning. Unconditional positive regard is the realization that humans are autonomous. They make their own choices. They will likely pay the consequences of any choice, whether good or bad, or in between, anywhere in between. And so that stance is so important because my job as a counselor is not to tell you what to think or tell you what to believe, or obviously if you know, you're going to harm someone or yourself, so I'm going to, there's some boundaries there. However, that aside, my job is to support you in discovering who you are what is the best course for you in life? The stance of a biblical counselor, and I know this because I did experience this, and also I feel like I have this stance towards some people, not like I never had like clients as a biblical counselor, but like even just as a friend, is that you're coming to me with the problems and I hold the answers. But what if what if that's not what the person needs then? What if you're trying to hammer in a nail with a screwdriver 
I think that's really important to think about because when a client comes to you with significant trauma, you can't use the verse, it is good that you were afflicted. You cannot do that. That is not what they need to hear at that moment. They need to be like, there's a disconnect there. And I get that is a Christian like belief, but that's not what someone needs to hear in that moment. That, yeah, (laughs) I can't stress that enough. And so I saw that happen again and again. And then just the very harsh cut and dry lines that were taught in some of the classes. I think a lot of injury was done. I mentioned earlier the emotional, like you can't abuse emotions. So there's no such thing as emotional abuse. There were definitely other things that were cut and dry, such as like ADHD is, it's a discipline issue. It's not discipline enough. We have research now that shows that someone with ADHD, their brain truly functions differently regardless of how many discipline measures they try to implement, even self-discipline measures, there are some challenges, there are challenges for them and minimizing the physical experience of anxiety, depression. If someone's in bed with depression, the idea that they should just get up and do something. Sometimes you're so low that you can't do that. And no Bible verse is going to get you. It might, but you're still going to feel depressed. And so a lot of the harm comes out of those really blatant, like you're the problem in the situation. And one other thing, just really quick, I wanted to mention is a huge one. I think in Christianity, like in general, but also definitely in biblical counseling, there is something where there's a tendency to jump to forgiveness too quickly And having this expectation for a client to be ready to forgive at a certain point in their journey. And while forgiveness is wonderful and great, and it does provide some peace to some extent, there's no timeline for that. And it can actually be harmful because let's imagine that a child was sexually assaulted by her father. How do you expect an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old to fully grasp what happened to her and also be able to forgive? That's not something that we should put pressure on. And even someone who's down the road 20 years, like you just can't tell someone when they're, you can traumatize them more by having an expectation to forgive too soon or even confront their, that's something that has happened before too, being told to confront your abuser. That is not safe. That is not there. There's evidence to say that's not safe, even if it's an emotional abuser. So I know your mission is really to provide real mental health care for people and also bring awareness to the dangers of biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. How do you think biblical counseling, this form of it, can be really stopped? Yeah, that's a big task. <laughs> I'm Unfortunately, I think it'll take some deep hurt and some really hard experiences over time for some people to realize that it's not because let's be real if you're a christian it sounds great right like the bible has the answers god has the answers that sounds really hopeful and great but what happens when you are going to that over and over again and you still feel depressed you feel you still have an abuser in your life because it is good that you are afflicted like that's that will cause more problems down the line. And 
So there's that. Also, as far as people who are receiving the counseling, so that's more for the side of like the counselors, those who believe that with a biblical counseling degree that they can truly counsel individuals in a safe and healthy way. On client side, I think it's just one, it's not talked about. And so people who have felt hurt by it or have walked away hopeless because it didn't work, they feel isolated. I felt isolated for years. Like I even was nervous about finding community among therapists, even with my current role and degree program, because I was just like, what if other people are like, you know, this too, and I can't talk about it and the realities of it. And so talking about it, like we we have to talk about our experiences. We have to talk about and question, okay, is that really helping you or are we just like putting a bandaid on it? Are we just, God works all things together for good. Okay, but what if we don't see that? What if we don't? What do you do then? There is help in the mental health community that doesn't just leave you empty. Yeah, sometimes we don't have the answers for everything, but there is help. And then again, there's just something about that kind of thing being kept under wraps that makes it so much more dangerous, really, because if one person goes and they think, oh, yeah, this is like how it's supposed to work. And this this is great. And then they feel bad. They're not going to talk about it because they feel like it's something wrong that they did. And so just giving people that permission to talk about it and it's not you. Like it's the system, like the system is not actually created to help people with trauma and with deep or like mental health diagnoses. And so, yeah, I think those are two things. I think that calling for accountability would be like, I'm not, I think that stuff like this, stuff like a podcast, stuff like a, an expose with a journalist or something like that, an investigative journalist would be helpful. And it has to be there are many voices out there and it needs to be the many voices. If you get on Twitter, you'll see a lot there about people who are able to escape and recover from the effects of biblical counseling. So yeah, I think there is a good movement headed. I think we need to talk about it more because we need to not feel in the dark with our thoughts mm -hmm. and about it. Yeah, most definitely. And I guess this is one thing I guess I forgot, but I guess I want to give you the opportunity and you don't have to, you don't want to, because I know there is one professor there. And if you want to talk about him, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. It's up to you. That's totally fine. So there is a professor. He was my advisor, Dr. Mazak. He is the one who said a lot of the things that I quoted about emotional abuse not being real and things like that. He was my advisor. Like I said, I did go to him at one point and I asked him, I just sat down and I was like, Okay, so I'm just now confident enough to say this, but I don't think I agree with you on the whole psychology thing. And at the end of the day, I was not heard. I walked out of there feeling minimized and talked down to. And essentially, the argument had my or my presentation of my concern had been twisted into the end result was we believe the same thing. I think you're just, I think you're just coming at it from a different angle. And that was not at all. I was really legitimately trying to find answers. And I just, at that time, I didn't have the confidence and the education to argue further. And so I walked out feeling very like gaslit and yeah, minimized, made to feel like I didn't know what I was talking about. So yeah, unfortunately, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have sat under his teaching and been frustrated by it and hurt by it. And 
I think that, again, talking about it, like bringing stuff like this to light is so important. Yeah, that's great. Is there anything else you would like to say to listeners regarding this subject? Yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it. I think that just exposing, for me, the most important thing is like giving people permission to say that this is a problem, even if adhere to the Bible as in a, as a faith, Christianity as a faith. If you don't adhere to Christianity as a faith and you have been hurt by this in the past, like also to provide a table for you to come to and talk about it. And if you do still adhere to the Bible and Christianity as a faith, like it's okay to say that biblical counseling is not helpful. Like that's not heretical. You don't need to be afraid that you're going to lose your faith because you don't believe that the Bible is sufficient. Second Timothy 3.16, I believe is a verse that biblical counselors fall back on a lot. It says this is going to be a little bit botched, but (laughs) all scripture is God breathed and is useful for reproof, instruction, and rebuke and training in righteousness. And to say that means that the Bible is enough to cover all the issues is short-sighted. And so it could make people feel like I am turning my back on my faith or I'm abandoning my God or that kind of thing. If that's the verse that's pounded into you, but that verse does not mean everything in the physical realm. And our mental health is a physical, is physical health. It's just as real and tangible as physical health. And I think Part of the issue, I do want to add this really quick. I meant to add it earlier, but we know this much about the brains. Literally have just barely touched the surface of what the brain is capable, both in protecting us when we go through trauma and recovering from that trauma and just the resilience and the skills and the tools that our brain has innately been built with. The Bible verse is not even touched what the science and the studies that are being done on what the brain's capable of. And so we can't have these black and white answers of ADHD is not real, or it's just a discipline issue. When we, like I said, have literally barely dipped into the surface of the brain's abilities and any neurobiologist will tell you the exact same thing. Any doctor, any surgeon, neurosurgeon will tell you the exact same thing. Yeah. And I realized, I remember the thing that I forgot and I thought yep. it was interesting. We had talked about this before, but could you talk a little bit about like the arguments between the science department and the biblical counseling department at Bob Jones? Yes. So I had a professor that was my anatomy and physiology professor at Bob Jones And so I intentionally took anatomy and physiology because from my own physical experiences, I knew that mental health was directly affected by physical health as well. Very tightly correlated. There's obviously the whole causation versus correlation issue, but they're very at the minimum tightly correlated, which is why exercise, drinking water, eating food, normal things are really helpful to mental health. They're the groundwork. But I went to him in one of my semesters and he had mentioned that he had tried to go to the biblical counseling faculty and present more on, and this is a doctor. This is like a medical doctor who's worked in the field of medicine. And he went to the biblical counseling faculty and tried to present. I don't know the specific details, but I do know that they tried to present to them maybe some changes in their thinking on medication and also the reality of certain mental concerns like OCD that would also be like poo-pooed in the biblical counseling world. And they weren't, they would not hear 
they would not hear him. They would not consider his perspective. So there's just a lot of unwillingness, which is very common in fundamentalism in general. Unwillingness to consider another perspective because it's almost like they're afraid of something else that's maybe a little less, they're a little less confident about or a lot less confident about there's not even a willingness to consider that and so there's definitely like some circling the wagons some definite echo chambering going on even between departments there's not agreement which is very interesting to me that's still the case yeah that's a huge red flag too they were just too stubborn to listen and really like that's i think a very dangerous thing about biblical counseling is that it's not evidence-based it's just based on belief and we're not going to change it and it's harmed so many people because this method doesn't want to change it they don't want to change it even though this guy jay adams he just created it out of his own mind (laughs) really or his own experiences with christianity and didn't consider scientific studies and one other piece of going off of that is there's an argument among biblical counselors that So the different brain chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, that kind of thing, there's an argument among biblical counselors of how do you know you have low serotonin? You can't test that, which so literally, if we're going to test any of the brain chemicals or any, there's a lot about the brain that you literally have to be dead to be able to test. And then at that point, it's, it's not functioning anyway. So like, how are you? Literally, the closest we've been able to get is if brain surgery, and there has been some advances with differently abled individuals and the mind, the power of the mind and things like that. And I think there's also obviously like encephalography, which is when people have studies done of their brain and the activity. But that's like, literally, you're not testing a measure of chemicals. And there's, again, that goes back to the science. So moving forward, like even 50 years ago or so, women with thyroid issues would have been put in insane asylums because they didn't know any better. Like they didn't know that there was a physical problem causing the emotions and the, cause some of the out of control feelings. And so for us to just say about the brain, we can't measure that chemical. Okay. But there's things we've not been able to measure in the past. And we made some really big mistakes because of it. Science is not at a standstill. And we need to remember that when we're dealing with human beings that are going through a lot. In the next segment of this episode, I talk with BJU survivors and their own struggles with their mental health at the school. The first survivor I speak with is Emma Pope. I remember when we had talked last year that you had started having some mental health struggles. And what was Bob Jones's response to that? And how did you feel you could even get mental health assistance in that environment? Yep. So around the time of my junior year, that's when I started questioning things. And then as I began to question those different things, felt increasingly distanced from all of my friends. And I just felt, I put, felt pushed away. I felt very alone. And then I was very sad. Like I had no friends. I like would just go throughout my day. I'd go to class. I would keep my head down to avoid trouble. Then I would go to work. Then I'd go home to the dorm room into my bunk bed with a blanket over it. So I wouldn't have to talk to my roommates. So I recognized that like I was very sad. I was definitely experiencing depression at that time. 
So I was working out and doing yoga and I met this yoga teacher who also does recreational therapy. So she uses yoga and leisure and different holistic approaches to help make lifestyle changes to manage depression, anxiety. So I reached out to her. She could also do really cool handstands. I was like, I'm depressed. I want to know how to do cool handstands. So I started doing sessions with her. I never reached out to anyone at Bob Jones personally for therapy because I knew that wasn't what I needed. Because I know they offer biblical counseling and I felt if I were to pursue biblical counseling, I'm struggling with being in a toxic religious environment. I can't tell someone at Bob Jones I'm depressed because I hate being at Bob Jones. I hate the rules. I hate just the judgment. So I knew if I reached out to someone on campus, that wouldn't be what I needed to help me. So I did end up spending a ton of money doing therapy because I didn't go through the free on-campus route or whatever. But it was definitely the decision that I needed to make then. And it was definitely the best decision to get me on the path where I am now. Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to do that and had the freedom of mind, at least, to make those decisions and recognize the harmfulness of Bob Jones' biblical counseling program and the people they have there. And the next survivor I speak to is Craig Vietti. But I experienced a real internal isolation from my own thoughts, opinions, voice, Mm -hmm. because you're around people all the time, but everyone should be thinking and believing the same things that you do, making the same choices that you do. And so if anything in, in my soul, if something didn't sit right, or I brushed against something that, that gets shut down really quick, whether by other people at first by other people, but eventually by myself. And it's taken a lot of work and time to learn to hear my own spirit, listen to my own voice, and trust trust myself again. Mm, yes, I'm so glad that you've been able to do that. And I'm sorry for all the pain that have, like you went through to get to that point. And there are so many like toxic and harmful messages that really cut you off from yourself at that place, but from your experience, what are some unhealthy messages that past and even current students receive about their worth and purpose? You can't trust your heart or your gut because they're inherently bad. They're inherently sinful that, uh, that left to our own devices, we are always bent toward evil, toward harming others. And it's only this this God religion structure that will save you from yourself. Some other unhealthy messages were that my body was bad, that it wasn't to be trusted, that women's bodies were bad and not meant to be trusted, that men and women can't cohabitate and can't even be friends, that there's always some form of coercive dynamic at play and that's something that we just have to fight that me identifying as a man that that I would forever be 
riddled with this insatiable lust that I would need to constantly battle and fight against even into into marriage and having children that it's just a natural part of me I guess that uh, yeah that I was born into this world bad and that I was cut off from a creator or from love and only by believing the right things that could be mended I think those are some really harmful messages that I received I think on the women's side of things there are many more harmful messages just about our own bodies and how we relate to each other as human beings. That there's an air of suspicion about about others and that that though you know what what's really harmful is that those who believe differently or have a different perspective are inherently wrong and that they shouldn't even be tolerated or listened to. Those are probably the ones that have affected me the most. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think you hit on a lot of core things and just this feeling of being worthless. And it's really, it's all about breaking you down and then building you back up and what identity, what belief system they want you to be. And when it comes to shame, Shame is not a very helpful emotion to grow healthily, but shame is something that a lot of abusive people or abusive organizations use to control. It's a great control tactic because in the environment, you are just shamed, shamed, and then they give you the formula or they answer to overcome that shame or whatever. And then you feel good and they beat you down again and then they bring you back up and i'm sure you figure this out that it models a narcissistic abusive relationship in that environment with these messages oh yes yeah keep you sick and we'll give you the medicine (laughs) yeah and and it's something too that was i don't know like kind of enlightening or whatever in a sense to realize I do remember when I was used to be a Christian about that struggle, that fight with the flesh or these different desires. And I realized after I left and I've been still dealing with that programming, but I realized I'm like, the more obsessed we come or focus on these things, the more shame we feel about these things, we go back to them. Mm -hmm. It makes it that much stronger. But I noticed when I allowed myself, as I began to allow myself accepting my humanity and just having normal human drives, that struggle went away and I wasn't so obsessed and really thinking about it anymore, as much at least. And so I was like, oh my God, like they, it's set up this way to have the shame about these things, to keep you thinking about it. And then feeling that spiritual fight that they like to tell you is real and they give you the formula to overcome like air quotes overcome that and again like they make you sick they give you the medicine and like it's this toxic cycle but it was just really freeing to realize that cutting myself off from certain parts of my humanity would only make them grow and stronger it'd be more powerful and it was unhealthy and not being able to healthily integrate all parts of our humanity causes so much more harm than good. We're always going to be human. And they would always say, oh, you have the Holy Spirit in you. 
he can or they can overcome all these things like you have the power you can over it was just insane to me like my senior year hearing them talking about you can overcome sexual desires and lust and i'm just like what i'm like <laughs> what that's a great point andrew and it's not just even limited to bob jones it, yeah that's how it shame works they don't have to tell you these things every day about yourself it's just that seed being planted and it unfortunately when you reach a point where you can't trust yourself anymore that shame and self-doubt is a really continuous spiral and like you said the emphasis on parts of you your humanity your weakness or your strength or whatever it might be that they deem unworthy parts of you are not welcome here that you need to set those things aside or push them down to be included in the tribe. And I'm sure you, there's countless examples of what happens when people suppress parts of themselves instead of lovingly embracing them and working through them. It always ends badly. It comes out in unhealthy ways. I'm thinking specifically of sexuality, but one big thing that started to shift my perspective on God and the environment at Bob Jones was I got out of school in 2016 and probably three or four of my friends or other acquaintances that I had spent time with came out. And I felt shocked that one, I never really knew and two, that they didn't feel like they could share that. I don't take that personally. I know many people who couldn't share much of themselves in that environment. But still, that really set off a trajectory to reevaluate a lot of what I had been taught and what I had been learning. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.